So I thought I would put together another things to watch for. Uh, this is uh, August 19th, 2022. Um, thought I would cover a couple things. Uh, one having to do with, uh, or a little bit having to do with globalism and also another having to do with uh, a couple things having to do with uh, things on a more national level here in the United States. Uh, ultimately, scripturally speaking, when we consider things like Revelation chapters 13 through um, well, really, you could say arguably chapter six uh, with, the, uh, with the Antichrist, the rider on the white horse with the bow in his hand, um, being unleashed with the breaking of the first seal all the way through chapter 19 uh, with the return of Christ to establish his kingdom and ultimately put down the Antichrist and uh, the false prophet and the global system that happens at that time. And that really is where I'm headed with this. When you read those passages and realize that um, and come to understand that the world is going to be moving toward a one world government, a globalized system that is not just about buying and selling. It's not even only about um, an image and, and, and sort of a false religious worship. It's all of that, but ultimately leading toward an attempt uh, by mankind under the uh, influence and leading of Satan himself behind the Antichrist, the false prophet, and even the pervasive mindset uh, that will uh, that will uh, really run throughout mankind at that time, save those, of course, who have come to faith. Um, but that that globalized mindset and unity that will be formed during that time will ultimately uh, reach its apex in rebellion when it seeks to stop Christ at his return. You can read about this, of course, again in Revelation 19 and verse 11, where he returns in those verses following where he uh, cast the Antichrist and the false prophet into the uh, lake of fire, even preceding the great white throne judgment. They just go straight, um, straight to their ultimate demise. Um, uh, and you can also read about it in Psalm 2 and, 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 uh, and, and that kind of thing. So, but this is where we're going. So I want to start right off the top with that. When we talk about some of the things that we're watching for, this is not really intended to be sort of my version of a quick newscast or something. There's lots and lots of channels and, and uh, um, sources out there. Most of you watch Amir Tsarfati or you watch other channels like that where you get, uh, you know, up to the minute, hey, here's what's going on right now kind of thing. Uh, this isn't really intended to be that. There's lots of great channels that provide that kind of thing already. But what I do like to try and do in looking at these events that take place is to do so um, really with uh, an eye toward connecting with Scripture. Um, and again, not that these other channels don't do that kind of thing as well. But but these are really just intended to be um, uh, posts that help us from a discipleship standpoint. And the well-rounded, what does the Scripture have to say on the whole? And how do we view what's going on around us through that lens? That's my, uh, that's my uh, attempt in these things. So hopefully that's what we accomplish. So anyway, looking at the Scripture first, recognizing again that uh, it speaks of the idea that we will be ultimately... Uh, the world, I should say, will ultimately be coming together under a globalized system uh, that includes things like a mark of the beast that is uh, that is distributed in connection not only with the idea of being part of the economic system that is run uh, by the uh, system at that time, the buying and selling and, and the prohibition against that without the mark on the right hand or forehead, but it also has a very clear element of worship involved in it. Paul describes in 2 Thessalonians 2, that uh, this man of sin, the son of perdition, will go into the temple of God and declare himself to be God and demand to be worshipped above all that is called God. Now, of course, there's a lot to be learned from that passage very quickly. Obviously, that means that there is a person who will go into the holy place in a temple that will have to exist and will exist 
in Jerusalem, likely in concert with Daniel 9.27 and a, a covenant, a peace treaty signed with Israel that probably will have something to do with them being able to rebuild their temple and such, reinstitute sacrifices and such. Well, it's in the midst of a seven-year covenant that is, uh, that is going to be signed that the Antichrist violates that covenant, goes into the holy place. Jesus also referred to this in Matthew 24, 15, when he talked about the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. Uh, we see this in the later chapters of Daniel, mentioned a couple of times. Uh, and Jesus reaffirms that idea that in the future, that day will come. Historically speaking, that has not happened yet. Uh, there is mention of in uh, 70 AD under Titus Vespasian, but there was no image set up. Uh, there was no demand to come and worship the image. There was no mark of the beast or anything at that time. So we know that these events have not taken place yet, but we also know they will because no less than Jesus himself spoke about these things coming. And of course, the Holy Spirit's inspiration of Paul's writing in 2 Thessalonians 2 is another one of those places where we see that described. So we know it's coming. And so when we look at these things, we're wondering, well, how do we get there? What things happen between now and then that sort of connect the dots and bring us to that place? Well, on a global, uh, uh, from a global perspective, it is interesting. And this is just kind of a quick uh, update today. I, well, I would say that I'll try to see how, see how we do on being quick. But um, from a global perspective, one, uh, one event that took place very recently that uh, has caused confusion for some, and um, but I think is instructive for us to consider, or at least uh, uh, to take some time to think about, uh, consider this event, is that the CDC changed its guidelines regarding COVID. And so essentially, uh, they've lifted you know any meaningful restrictions on people's ability to be together or to even be tested if you don't show symptoms, any of those kinds of things. They're still encouraging vaccinations and testing and those kinds of things but they've essentially loosened up the guidelines uh, and, and, and also incidentally, essentially have said that those who uh, just basically develop natural immunity over time are among the healthiest and least affected. Uh, just, it's fascinating. But anyway, the, the fact that that happened, that the CDC basically kind of removed most meaningful, pretty much all meaningful restrictions uh, in regard to dealing with COVID and interpersonal activities and those kinds of things, uh, for some, this caused confusion because uh, a lot of people were really assuming that this was going to be the thing that brought us to, um, you know, to a globalized unity, especially, and again, I'm moving kind of quickly here. I'll try to remember to put links to all these things in the comments in the, uh, below the, the, the post, uh, especially when you consider the, the long string and chain that ultimately culminated in uh, so much of the lockdown and uh, government overreach that took place in response to COVID, uh, a disease that certainly on the one hand did have uh, even fatal effects on some. We never want to diminish the fact that there were those who did in fact uh, die either directly or of complications uh, uh, involving COVID. So we, you know, with genuine heaviness of heart, that's true. We acknowledge that. But by and large, the, uh, the effects of COVID really didn't amount to much more than a seasonal flu for most people, 99 something percent of people around the world, or whatever that high, high, high percentage actually is. Um, and so, but it was blown out of proportion to be this, you know, epic generation ending, you know, global pandemic that we we're going to see, you know, countless people die and this kind of thing. Um, and when you bring that even back to sort of the suspicious, uh, kinds of uh, circumstances under which this whole thing happened in Wuhan. And then on top of that, when you go even further back 
and consider the uh, the gaming situation of, of, uh, of Event 201. Um, and then, of course, when you also, and we're just broadening this thing even further, the way that the pandemic was clearly being capitalized upon by groups like the World Economic Forum or, um, you know, uh, at the time, groups uh, known as ID2020 and all these different technologies that were being brought to bear and being brought out uh, to help bring the world together in a globalized unity to deal with such things as pandemics and such. During the last couple of years, not only dealing with pandemic, but also dealing with international crises like the war in Ukraine uh, and that kind of thing. There is a very definitive move to bring the world under a global authority, a global unity that ultimately has a globalized government at the helm, uh, either under the influence or it might be stretching it to say under the direct control of, but um, certainly at least under the influence of organizations again, like the WEF, the World Economic Forum. Um, also, organizations like the World Health Organization, the International Monetary Fund, have also played significant roles in, in shaping, uh, forming and shaping uh, where we have gotten to, and no doubt will continue to in the days ahead. But what about COVID? What about the fact that it does not seem to be, or it's, uh, it's not being seen as the threat that it was just a year, uh, or even really just weeks ago? Um, when, of course, Omicron came out and all these things, it was like, oh my gosh, everybody's going to get it. It's going to be another spike in the pandemic. And now all of a sudden, in relatively short order, all of a sudden now it's not really being seen as that anymore. Uh, Monkeypox came out and that was seen as a potential new pandemic in that, although it seems like there's a very specific segment of the population that is affected by that. Um, so what, what to make of that? Well, as we, as we said a long time, I'm not the only one that said this, obviously, but as we've been, uh, many of us have been saying, uh, COVID-19, if nothing else, and the vaccination that accompanied it, if nothing else, have been used as a conditioning agent to sort of prepare people to adopt the mindset that when government sees something as being a, uh, uh, a threat on such scale as, as was you know, generally seen with COVID, that we need to turn to government, organizations like that, that alone have the capacity to deal with um, uh, crises of that scale. This, of course, was a major, uh, this was a major emphasis made by the World Economic Forum, is that uh, there needs to be a renewed sense of trust in government because it is only organizations as large as government working in concert with business, uh, world leaders around the world, both in, in government and business working together to provide solutions that can help us deal with crises like pandemics like this uh, so that we can head them off and, and deal with them. But it, it requires us to come together globally, even at the expense of national sovereignty. Uh, the World Health Organization uh, is in contract with many nations around the world, uh, allowing it to have essentially um, uh, open capacity to dictate mandates of how countries are supposed to handle pandemics when they come. Um, again, at, even at the cost of national sovereignty, the World Health Organization, an unelected body of, uh, of people that are, you know, um, um, utilizing health and, um, and dealing with global pandemic uh, as, as, a, uh, as, an os as a, um, a means through which to sort of consolidate power, ultimately moving us toward a globalized government. Now, again, this is not conspiracy-minded stuff. Conspiracy, by the way, I know a lot of us are familiar with the idea that the term conspiracy theory was in, was developed, uh, you know, in the 60s, and it was the 60s, maybe earlier, actually, as a means to sort of 
you know, marginalized people that would um, suspect foul play on the part of government and that kind of thing. But the word conspiracy simply speaks of the idea of, of people conspiring together to accomplish a certain goal. Uh, the goal of global governance and global unity and such is not a new phenomenon. It is, in fact, um, something that has been around since the days of Genesis 10, uh, the Tower of Babel and such. Uh, there has always been a move, whether it be through Nimrod or whether it be through any number of, of people throughout the centuries and the aeons who have sought to um, ultimately bring the world together under a globalized unity with themselves at the helm. So the only difference between all of those and the current version of it is is that the current version is accomplishing it by and large through peaceful means, uh, government edicts and mandates, um, you know, international treaties and such that are chipping away at various national sovereignties around the world in order to consolidate power under a group of people that will be able to essentially wield global power when it comes to, uh, well, in all areas, but again, they're using uh, things like pandemics and such to, uh, to accomplish that. So it's not being done through necessarily, strictly speaking, military uh, means per se, but rather instead it is being done essentially through, again, sort of peaceful means. And so COVID ceased to be useful because people were basically over it and, and no longer really wanting to put up with it. Uh, but I would say that it would be wise to be watching for whatever the next pandemic is going to be. Uh, again, groups like the World Economic Forum, groups like the World Health Organization, people like Bill Gates have been talking very openly, not about if another pandemic strikes, but when another pandemic strikes. So we wanna be watching for uh, for whatever the next one is. And when I say watching, like a lot of us who follow prophecy and who pay attention to global events and that kind of thing, we're always watching the news and we're always sort of approach with a skeptical eye these kinds of things. But what I'm, what I'm trying to address here today is the average person not just buying in to the idea of trusting the government implicitly without questioning. Um, the founding fathers of our country here in the United States would never have stood by and watched the kinds of things that happened during COVID happen. Uh, there was a, an inherent skepticism in government upon uh, the part of the founders and on the part of the, the average citizen in the United States. Uh, and it is exactly that kind of skepticism in government that produced a constitution like the one that we have that limits government significantly. Uh, is very specific in many regards as far as what government has the right to do and not to do. Uh, of course, there's room in the document to allow for expansive powers and such, but by and large, the Constitution and the principles that underlie the Declaration of Independence um, really do present a form of government that is intrinsically skeptical of overreaching government. And I think that's wise. I don't think that's rebellious. I think that's wise. I think there is something to be said for not just checking your brain at the door and just blindly just doing whatever someone tells you because they tell you. I think you should always think through. It, it does not surprise me that unvaccinated people are faring better in response to COVID and have fared better in response to COVID than those who are vaccinated. Um, it just, it seemed patently absurd to think that a vaccination that was rushed through in a, fra a fraction of the time that you would normally take to uh, produce a vaccination uh, and then was pushed as hard as it was upon people. Uh, that should have put up red flags in the minds of everybody, not just some. 
uh, and we're starting to see the um, the outworking of that even today, or the you know the reality of that today. So on a global level, that's something to be watching for. What's the next pandemic going to be, and and what not not only what far-reaching uh, well, let me put it this way: when the next pandemic strikes, what additional rights, freedoms, sovereignties, and such are going to be chipped away at to accomplish the purposes that are the desired goal of that. So be paying attention to that. We've been through it once already, and as the old expression happens, do it to me once, shame on me, or shame on you, do it to me twice, shame on me. So we wanna be paying attention and watch. Um, now in terms of on more national scale, more localized scale, at least here in the States, um, we're coming up on the midterms in November. These are important, significant midterms. Uh, and under most normal circumstances, the way things look, you would anticipate a sweeping change in the, uh, in the color of Congress. What I mean is between blue and red. Uh, you should expect, based on, on all kinds of factors over the last couple of years, most notably recently, uh, inflation and the high cost of everything and it's, it's, you know, all these kinds of things. This should be an impetus for many voters to go and seek to see a change in Congress uh, in terms of the party in power. And this is not only a normal thing that happens oftentimes in midterms, uh, but is, is even has a even has a stronger driver to it nowadays. Just again because of all the the really rough economic things that have come about as a result of, uh, of, the, of the Democratic Party's uh, power, both in the White House and also in Congress. Uh, most notably, uh, the, uh, the party's uh, complete uh, decimating of our uh, of our our energy policies and those kinds of things, our capacity to be independent in that regard. The reason I mention that is not to be overtly political, but to mention that at the heart of that change in energy policy and at the heart of much of the Democratic Party platforms or party's platform is the idea of the environmental uh, agenda that they have. Uh, one that lines up with the United Nations uh, uh, agenda for uh, global sustainability and such. Um, our entire energy uh, sector has been uh, been damaged heavily, and is, it is that has ultimately cost us uh, not because it needed to happen, but because that's the agenda that the Democratic Party has. This is one of those reasons why, under normal circumstances, you would assume that that would bring about a change in party. Uh, people fed up with this kind of thing and they'd want to vote differently in order to bring things back to some semblance of normalcy in that regard. However, we're not living in normal circumstances, normal times. Um, and uh, again, without sounding like a weird tinfoil hat guy, I would, uh, I would suggest that you pay attention to politics over the next couple of months and look for an October surprise. Will there be something? And I hope there's not. I mean, I, yeah, I, I truly, I'd love to see a party change and, and see things go back in some respects. Um, but I'm also very wary uh, of that because you would assume, uh, based on what's going on, that either the Democratic Party is completely tone deaf to what's going on among the citizens they represent, or they are certain that they've got such control that they don't have to worry what anybody thinks. They're gonna continue to move forward with this agenda and they know something that the rest of us don't know in regard to how they're gonna maintain power. So I would suggest just not sort of um, assuming it's business as usual, 
but be watching for an October surprise, something that happens that has a direct impact on the elections that are coming up in November. Uh, whether it's shenanigans in the voting booth or whether it's maybe a, a stay on the election for some reason, some crisis comes up that um, that some becomes a, a means by which the, the party decides to hold on to power. Uh, it is interesting to me that, again, regardless of what you think of Trump, so many of the things he was accused of in these regards have actually been practiced by Democrats. Um, it's, uh, it's fascinating. Again, if you like political theater, this is quite an era to be paying attention in. So there is that. Um, add to that the, the continually declining cognitive capacities of our commander in chief. And I don't say this in disrespect to the man. I'm not taking shots at the president. What I'm simply saying is that it's overtly obvious that you know the rigors of this office are far beyond the capacities of the current occupant of the White House, the Oval Office. And so my, my sense, when I put these things all together, the very hard push to use the pandemic as a as a as an opportunity to push a great reset on a global uh, scale. The fact that uh, Biden remains in the White House, um, even though he's completely not up to the challenge and the rigors that that are required of that office, leads me to believe that both on a national scale and on a global scale, the agenda to move the world toward a great reset was probably expected to go much smoother and much quicker than it actually has. Um, so that means that what's gonna happen in the days ahead should be very telling in regard to just how far into this agenda we actually are. Far too much work has been done to get us to where we are. Far too much has been invested. Uh, and so it would be hard to imagine that there's going to be allowed to be a party change that, um, that allows things to go back because too much ground has been gained in recent days uh, moving toward that grand agenda, the Great Reset. So when we say pay attention, I mean like really, pay attention. Watch what's going on around you. Pay attention to what's happening in the political sphere. Pay attention to what's happening on the global sphere. Um, and I'll end with this final thought, uh, just sort of tying those things together and then we'll bring it to a close. But um, in, our, in our form of government, I, I do tend to speak almost kind of romantically in regard to um, the way that I view the underlying principles of our constitutional republic. I don't say democracy because the founders very openly spoke of their fear of having an actual democracy. Uh, the idea of, of one person, one vote on every issue. We don't have that here in America. We have what's called a representative form of government. That's why we use the term republic or Republican, not in regard just to party, but the concept of Republicanism or a Republic is that of representative government. And so I don't get to vote on every issue, but I vote for those who best line up with my values, morals, and ideals. And I, and I vote for that person to be in Washington uh, or, or on the local level, as, as the case may be, to vote in the way that I would vote. And sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But when they, so far as they mostly vote like I would, I'll probably vote for them again. So, but that's how our system of government works. Uh, and so I tend to speak, again, sort of romantically about it. I tend to sort of just have a, uh, a really uh, high view of the principles that lie behind our Constitution. Again, sentiments that are expressed in the uh, Declaration of Independence. 
And so I speak in those terms when I think about these things, but I, I also don't harbor any illusions regarding those who are in government. I tend to hold the view that those who've been in government in our government here for a long period of time, 20, 30 years and, and more, uh, when it comes to party distinctions, I think those distinctions probably fade away entirely when it comes to people who've been in government that long. Uh, people who've been in government for that long are likely very much on board with the globalized mindset that has been put forth by Democratic and Republican presidents over the last two decades, very openly. Uh, and you could argue that those underpinnings go back many, many decades. Uh, you know, you could go back to Lyndon Johnson, you can go back to FDR, you can go back to Wilson, you can go back to so many presidents that clearly wanted to see uh, and took steps to not only advertised the concept of, but even took steps uh, politically and legislatively uh, to, to, to move the ball forward in regard to creating that. So I think that um, when it comes to people in government, I, I still think there's some value in voting. I don't think we should diminish that. I don't think we just hand over that privilege. Um, but, I, and I, but I also am not, uh, it's hard not to become a bit cynical regarding the ultimate outcome uh, of of what our political leaders do in the halls of Congress. And so that being said, um, the reason I'm not totally cynical is because at the end of the day, I'm not actually a Republican or a Democrat. Uh, I do vote a particular way, but, um, but I'm ultimately a monarchist. I'm waiting for Jesus to come and answer the prayer that I have been praying along with you guys for a very, very long time. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And, uh, and once again, I'll bring it back around to where we started. When we watch what's going on around us and we see what's happening, um, we recognize that these are things that take place that are not just our governments moving the ball forward toward globalism or any of that kind of thing, but ultimately it is the Lord himself who has his hand on the wheel and is bringing history to its ultimate climax with the return of Christ to establish his kingdom. And so I don't get discouraged when I, uh, on one hand, when I see things falling apart in the world around us, when I see the mindset of the average person buying in to all the things that are being sold and, and more and more people turning away from critical thinking, objective truth, not to mention, of course, the gospel and such. But I do know that as we uh, continue to move forward closer and closer to those days, that we're going to see the world look more and more like the Bible describes it uh, will look in its closing chapters. So it's happening like God wants it to happen. Things are going forward exactly as God would design and desire, uh, and nothing's going to stop that. And so I, I do, on the one hand, mourn the death of my uh, my nation's freedoms and liberties and independence and all those kinds of things, the constant chipping away of this. Um, but on the other hand, it also reminds me that we're just getting that much closer to the coming of Jesus. And of course, as a premillennial, pre-tribulational rapturist, uh, I also hold the... Uh, the, the steady excitement uh, of my anticipating Christ coming to bring his bride home even before those things ultimately unfold. So, um, so you know, again, just some things to watch. And, and again, we're going to periodically post a couple of elements of interest in that regard. Of course, you know, there's dozens of things we could be talking about and looking at, but I'll just pick a few out randomly here and there. Uh, again, I do encourage you to watch and read broadly uh, to be especially when it comes to reading the scripture, to, to spend time and, and, and just look at what the scriptures have to say, and then view what's going on around us 
through that lens, never the other way around. And we don't bend the scripture to fit something uh, that's happening out here, but rather we view what's going on out here through the lens of scripture. So Father, help us to do that. Help us to be of the mindset that um, that we are students of your word first and foremost, that we also, as being students of your word, also take time to consider what's going on around us so that we would not miss what's happening. We'd not be blind to the times in which we live. Jesus did speak in regard to his first coming and condemned the Pharisees, those who should have known uh, the signs of the times of his first coming. Well, we don't want to be blind to the signs of the times of his second coming. So help us to be aware, to be watchful, uh, and to be vigilant in terms of living out our faith and cultivating our faith and developing and, and again, cultivating our relationship with you, deepening it and never being so content and comfortable with where we are and, and, and God forbid, with the creature comforts that can surround us, that we sort of lose sight of what it means to be living in our living hope, as Paul would have encouraged. Uh, but rather, Father, help us to recognize, uh, even as Jesus talked about, as Paul talked about, as Peter talked about, as Jude talked about, as the scriptures talk about, really, uh, from, from cover to cover at times throughout, that, uh, Father, we ultimately were not created for this world, but we, like Abraham, should be looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. And so help us to touch lightly the things of this world and instead to be looking very much forward to Jesus coming to bring us into the next. We love you and thank you and bless you and praise you. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as always, if you have any questions, comments, or anything like that, you're welcome to leave them on our YouTube channel in the comments section. Uh, you can also email me at info at calvarychapelfranklin.com. You can go to my website at parsonspad.com, and uh, you can comment there as well. I'll also mention that we have also been posting to Telegram. Uh, you can look up Parsons Pad Podcast on Telegram, or you can link to it right off of uh, uh, our YouTube channel. Right uh, under each post, we have a list of links that you can uh, check out, including our uh, Telegram page. Also, um, Rumble. We're starting to post on Rumble a little bit more. So uh, anyway, just um, you know, whatever particular outlet you happen to like, uh, you can generally find us on it. So thanks for watching and listening again. We'll look forward to catching up with you next time. Until then, the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you and give you peace forever. Amen.